Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your host, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hello, Sim. Hello, Sonia. Why'd you say my name like that? You say that every time I say hello. And I just feel like there's a little bit of attitude every time you say hello. I see it as love, but you know what? Sometimes perception is a funny thing. How's your week been? You're like, let's move on. (laughs) My week has been great. I'm not too sure what I've done of significance. It's winter time here in New Zealand. And I just, I've been the vitamin D spokesperson for every single one of my friends. I feel like everyone just needs to check their vitamin D levels because sometimes I I feel low and that's when I know that I need to uptake my vitamin D during this time. You feel it? You feel the lowness? Sometimes I'm like, am I sad or am I just vitamin D deficient? You know? Sonia went to the doctors, got told that she was low in vitamin D and suddenly she's like, Hey, Jonathan, have you checked your vitamin D levels? Because I was low and I had no idea. Am I wrong? I feel like I'm more like kind of focused and stable throughout the day, which I attribute to vitamin D and my iron deficiency. I used to get dizzy as I stood up and I'd be like, this is normal. In conclusion, my week has been great because I'm on top of my health. How's your week been? My week has been great because you are kinder, more sincere, friendlier, and it's all thanks to vitamin D. So if you, and I'm kidding. I'm actually super excited for this episode. Do you want to give us a little intro on who we'll be speaking to today? Oh, I am so, so excited. We have Brianna West, who is the CEO and founder of Atik. So take the H out. If you are like, what is that? You will have seen their brand, I promise. It is the sustainable, clean beauty brand. You might have seen like their beauty bars or like their shampoo bars. I'm so excited to have her and to like snag her into joining us. You know, a little bit about her. Her clean beauty brand, Atik, has been put into 22 countries. They are literally in 6,000 stores. They have offices in Australia, New Zealand, US, UK. She's from New Zealand originally. And you would never believe that this like empire started in her kitchen 10 years ago in Christchurch when she was a poor uni student with like a crazy idea to be like plastic free. Because that was not normal, you know, 10 years ago. I think it's starting to become a little bit more of a buzzword now, but to do it back then, she's such a trailblazer and she literally is just like, my goal is to rid the world of plastic bottles. And I think it's so amazing to have a sustainability episode today with someone who's at the forefront of leading it. So without further ado, let's get started. First of all, hello, welcome to Girls That Invest. We are very excited that we have been able to get you here to come to our podcast and have a little chat with us. So firstly, thank you. Huge thank you. Thank you for having me. Super excited to talk to you both. Now to get right into it, for those listening at home, one of the biggest questions people had was what actually inspired you to start your business? Because it's obviously grown hugely and very successfully. It's worldwide. I mean, you were in America earlier this year. Now you're in London for work. How did it all begin? I have always had this passion for science, animals, and this underlying belief that business is a faster way to solve social and environmental problems that we face. And I've said it many times, and it annoys a lot of people, but that's due in no small part to the fact that business has caused, or commerce has caused, so many of the problems we face, right? And business has greater resources to fix 
things should business have the motivation to do so? So back in 2012, I just sold two previous startups. They were tiny. Honestly, they were just sort of like it's called training businesses, if you like. They taught me a lot, but the biggest thing they taught me was that money solely money is not my driving force. I wanted to save the world. And so there's a combination of all those passions of the science, the animals, the protection of the environment and the business culminated in a, a, a teak in the idea that I wanted to rid the world of plastic bottles or at least the cosmetics industry. But I also wanted to prove that it was possible to operate a business as ethically and as fairly and kindly as possible while still having the business be financially sustainable. All rolled into one. That is such an interesting reason to start a business. And I actually I want to break that down a little bit further the part that you mentioned that you believe that we can create change through business and you know with ethical investing and what we speak about girls that invest we're on the exact same page but for those that are kind of new and don't really understand what you mean by that do you mind breaking that down a little bit more an example i always use is one of the biggest ways i believe business could change things was if we looked at our supply chains right every organization has a supply chain whether it's a service business or a product business and most businesses it's fair to say don't actually know who makes the product that they purchase whether it's office supplies or whether it's stuff they use to make their own products and unfortunately in most supply chains there is inherently a lot of unfairness very unethical practices often human trafficking and slavery and a lot of people think that i'm overstating when i say that but that's unfortunately not the case. There is an awful lot of hideous trade practices out there. So when I say that I believe business can have a huge impact on people's lives around the world, even perhaps not quite so directly, if business just cleaned up its supply chains, perhaps, I don't know, focused on one product at a time and decided, right, we're going to ensure that those people are paid at minimum a living wage, a fair price for their product. Imagine the impact that would have on their lives. Imagine the impact that would have on their communities. That's how far-reaching business decisions can go. And that's just, I mean, that's not a small example, it's a big example, but that's the kind of mindset shift I believe businesses need to go through. And that's what I mean when I say business can change the world. Do you think that the idea that every brand out there that's calling themselves sustainable or calling themselves, you know, green and clean are doing what you're doing in terms of making sure that they're looking all the way to the very end of their supply chain and forward and you know, making sure everything is truly sustainable and clean? Or do you think there's a little bit of a buzzword being thrown around? I think there's an enormous amount of greenwashing and like ethics washing. Most businesses don't do the hard work and I totally get it, right? It's hard. If you're not founded on those principles, you have this belief structure that it's going to be too expensive to do and too hard to do. So businesses don't want to approach it. And and the way to sort of get past that is to take, you know, one step at a time, one bite at a time and, and focus on one small step. But no, again, the example, I always use is how many businesses say they'll plant a tree for every order, right? But the product they make literally is directly causing deforestation. Businesses by and large look at things from like ambulance to the bottom of the cliff style thinking. They don't look at how they can prevent the cause of something. They look at the marketing side of things, which is they're planting a tree for every order. That makes sense. That's so interesting. You never really, because yeah, you see that all the time, you know, like buy one of our like lipsticks and we'll plant a tree. And it's like, yeah, that's, that makes me feel good. I'll do that. And you never really think, what is that lipstick actually costing the environment to begin with? And is it actually a net positive? Wow, that actually blows my mind. If someone was listening in and they you know, thought, wow, this is kind of cool. I love the way you do business. It's not the usual way that people go about things. Would you you know, agree? I think there's people that grow up thinking that you have to be 
kind of a bulldozer in business and you have to come in, you know, guns blazing and you have to, you know, push people out of the way. But it sounds like you've come from a place of these are my strong values and morals and I'm going to literally build, you know, what I'd call an empire on that foundation. If someone was going, wow, that's so cool. How do you actually get your ideas on paper? How do you turn that into a product? Is that something that you can share to our listeners? Good question. <laughs> a lot of people believe that if you're an ethical business, you are probably not financially sustainable. And that's not the case. Atik has been profitable for years and continues to be very financially sustainable. We have never raised hundreds of millions of dollars like a lot of organizations you see that have similar growth patterns. So it is not true that you have to do certain things in order to grow your business. I have, again, loads of examples. I was forever told, for example, so we have a 2% of sales or 20% of profit that we donate to various charities. We've done that since day one. Every single person I told about this policy back when we were a startup said, we can't do that. Startups don't have any money. And they're not wrong, but I was going to do it anyway. And it's always been a core point of a teak and it's led to the strength. I mean, it strengthens our brand. It has a variety of positives for the company as well as the community. And it's not true. You need to bulldoze over people, that you need to act like a dragon, that you need to be incredibly cruel in business like so many people do approach it. And a teak is proof of that. And there are lots of other companies that do exactly that. Unfortunately, business tends to be tends to be an unpleasant environment in a lot of ways, but I do believe that that is changing. But yeah, to be successful, you absolutely do not need, need to ride roughshod over people. That is old style business that is hopefully dying out. What did you mean by the last part of your sentence, you know, that it is a little bit horrible? Do you mean the way that it's still quite rigid in its old thinking or just, I guess, the people that are still against this new way of doing business? combination of both. Certainly there are people out there who don't want to see ethical business succeed because it naturally threatens their way of looking at life and naturally they are threatened by the potential loss of income. Then there is, and this is a much bigger chunk of people who believe that business has to be done a certain subset of ways and you have to have a board at, you know, from startup, you have to do this, you have to do that. All sorts of, of rules that uh, a tech has never followed. I'm incredibly stubborn and irritated by uh, these rules that just exist for no reason. So a tech has always been run in the way that I think intuitively makes the most sense. But I, I, a lot of businesses, when you're a startup and you're a young founder, you're given all this advice that you have to do this and this and this. And often it's detrimental to what you're actually trying to achieve because particularly so many businesses nowadays have started their values led and you're given this advice that is, harkens back to old school. You know, you need a 50-page business plan and I think that can be really harmful. They don't mean to be causing that harm, but um, it is old school thinking. It really is. And I honestly commend you on how you make it look so easy. I'll say that. You make the way of doing your business so easy, but I know it's definitely not. And it probably probably more of an uphill battle to get everyone around you to like take the sustainable side of it as seriously as it needs to be taken because again like you've mentioned everyone else is not everyone a lot of people are seeing it as a buzzword and easy you know plant a tree call it a day so <laughs> it really is amazing what you're doing I hope you're proud of yourself in that regard I, I just have the most amazing team and look I do by virtue of my position I get the credit right and that's not fair at all because I certainly don't do all of the work at all I have a phenomenal team and you mentioned surrounding yourself with people who believe the same stuff and the whole team and our extended advisory board and so on we all believe that this stuff matters and this will change the world if we only 
inspire other businesses to do the same and inspire consumers to demand other businesses to do the same, both within the industry and without. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but a startup, or a tech is not really a startup, it's a stay up now, I hope, but it's a lot of work regardless. If you go to work and have these really strong values and know that you're making a difference to people's lives, it makes those challenges easier. Definitely. I think that's so beautiful. It must be so empowering to go into work every day knowing that everyone is on the same page as you and you don't really have to have because um, I remember when I worked um, in corporate and we'd have those like sustainable workshop and how like our company was trying to do X, Y, Z and we'd get these external people in to kind of tell us why sustainability is important for like our sector when it should have been coming from our leaders, if that makes sense. Can you tell us a little bit about your money mindset growing up and how it's changed over time? Hmm. I didn't have one. So my parents are English. I am Manx, which is from the Isle of Man, if anyone's ever heard of it. It was very much bred into them. We never talked about money. I didn't know what my dad was paid. I wouldn't have a clue what my mum was paid. And, um, you know, you didn't you didn't ask questions about what a meal cost or stuff like that. It just wasn't talked about. And I think it was probably in my last couple of years of high school, maybe even as I was going into university, they started actually thinking about how important money was. And I'll be honest, I am definitely a spender and I am trying to rein that in. But I think it comes about as a, a real lack of, of early stage financial literacy. And that's no insult to my parents. It's that was the way they were brought up. That was the way they understood, you know, we didn't talk about money. End of story because it was, I guess, I don't want to use the word vulgar to talk about because that sounds really old-fashioned, but it, it almost was, yeah? And now I am trying to, I, I'm lucky I'm in an incredibly privileged financial position now. And now instead of spending, I try and use that money to help people collectively. It's a bit higgledy-piggledy and I'm learning from you guys too in particular. Oh my gosh, I feel like we have had the same upbringing and now I talk about money for a living. So it's interesting. <laughs> how things can change how do you think that your money mindset growing up or like thereof as you describe it has influenced your business mindset and the way that you approach business I was pretty naive to the point of well I was really ignorant about a lot of it so in those first couple of um, businesses I mentioned whilst I had an accountant or a bookkeeper I should say they weren't necessarily the best person for the role I made a joke in, in various interviews historically that I ignored the IRD and that that's a, a bad thing to do. And you know, jokes aside, that is actually a really bad idea. And I got into a bit of trouble there. Just Sorry, government, if you're listening, she's joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I didn't know my obligations and I didn't care because I didn't, I'm not into business for the money. So I didn't care enough to focus on finance. Whereas now I actually find finance quite interesting. So I have learned over the last sort of, let's say, four or five years with having a really, really good team who are good teachers who have taken the time to patiently teach me about the importance of finance within the company and not that it's just boring maths because I hated maths at school. Hated, hated, hated. And I always equated them with the same. But finance is about, you know, it's a story. Finance is your ability to help the environment. It's your ability to help communities. It's everything, you know, and that is how I have changed. And now I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not super excited about financial meetings, but I am much more interested and switched on than I ever used to be. Do you reckon that all leaders should be in the know of how 
finances are done in their business? Yes, unfortunately, yes, you should be. Uh, you need to understand your numbers. I know a lot of founders know. I hate that. I want to outsource it. Totally, you should. Out, you absolutely need to outsource it and get an accountant and get someone who will teach you and you want to communicate with a lot. But you should absolutely understand the ins and outs and understand the bare minimum at the bare minimum. The more you know, the better you can read patterns in advance before things start going downhill. You can understand trends of what you need to change or what's going well or what's not so much more than perhaps an accountant who doesn't know your business very well. The more you know, you know, the better without question. It's never a bad idea to keep your finger on the pulse, I feel. <laughs> what's your portfolio looking like if that's not too nosy? Do you mind breaking that down for us? I have a house. I own a house. Um, I don't have a mortgage on it. I'm very lucky in that regard, as I mentioned. Obviously, I, the, the biggest chunk of my net worth is tied up in a tech. There is this crazy rumor that I like. I don't own any of the company and then I'm like indentured for, for years. It's very strange. It's like a, I have no idea. It was on Reddit. So that's where the biggest chunk is tied up. But um, I have a company with a few uh, business partners uh, that invests in early stage startups that are here to solve a social and environmental problem. And it is launched. It is slowly ticking away in the background. So that is where a good chunk of my or portfolio, as you call it, is um, is going to invest in companies. It's something that's really productive. It's really important to me to inspire and help other companies grow through what a tea grew through. And hopefully they miss they, they don't make some of the mistakes I made because man, I swear I made everything several times. I'm sure must have been such big learns that when you started Etique, you kind of knew what to do and what not to do? I certainly knew what not to do in some respects, but that isn't necessarily the same as knowing what to do. But you learn by giving things a crack, you know. It's it's scary to take that first step or send that email. I don't know if you're trying to get into a retailer or create that first product. It's a big, scary step, but you, the best way to learn is not by asking other people or, or you know, reading online is actually by giving it a crack so sims just asked you about ethical investing and how important it is to you and do you have any tips for investors who want to invest in ethical companies to create change a hard one because finding ethical companies is tough i don't want to slag companies off that are trying to do good things right most companies I choose to believe that most people want to do the right thing but that the organizations that they're working with are big machines it's hard to turn a ship that big when it's going in one direction to to you know turn it 180 degrees to go into a different one i get that and there are a lot of companies and actually i use unilever as an example here who are not yet doing net positive but they are trying to change a lot of policies and and things within their company to ensure that in the future they are a company that has a net positive on the world and i can't say that about many of their competitors for example so finding ethical businesses is hard and, and the easy answer is always, oh, I'll look for indie brands. And yes, that's probably true. A lot of brands started more recently by, not always exclusively, but by millennials and Gen Zs tend to be based on a stronger values platform. But you need to sort of dig into it. You know, you need to ask questions. If you want to look at investing into a company and, and understanding, you, you need to understand their supply chain. That's a big one. You need to understand how they treat their team, how they treat their actual internal team. Those sorts of things are the bare minimum. Living wage is the bare minimum, not the minimum wage. Just to give you an idea of, of the, the sort of the thinking within the organization, red flags that you want to avoid certain industries that are inherently destructive that will never have a net positive. But you also don't want to penalize companies that are not perfect, 
but are trying their best. It's the mindset whether they're authentically trying their best. That is a hard thing to find. I just ask a lot of questions. I have had the benefit of being within the sustainability world, if you like, for years and years. And I have a science degree, so I'm kind of good at asking the right questions and reading through the the nonsense. And I'm not sort of distracted by the new shiny sparkly thing. So when someone tells me something, I'm always like, okay, but why or how or prove it? And I don't mean to say that's, you know, that I'm irritating, although I probably am actually to be fair, but ask questions. If someone says something or if a company claims something, they should be able to provide the receipts. It's that simple. I agree a hundred percent. I think to talk to what you were saying earlier around people use a lot of fluff words or they say things and they don't really mean them, but they're just trying to use the jargon to keep up with the times. Um, it's really important to go deeper and do your own research as well. Yeah, that's so true. Because like Meta, for example, Facebook is saying that they're going to be carbon neutral by something crazy like 2050. And it's like, you're an online company. How many things are you messing up to not be carbon neutral yet? You know, plant some trees for, for goodness sake. Well, that's the maddening thing, right? So, so Meta is enormously, enormously profitable. How can they not afford to, and just going carbon neutral, by the way, is also kind of greenwashing because they're not necessarily looking for ways to diminish their carbon footprint. They're just looking at offsetting it, which they can afford to do. I know that they'll have servers and banks of computers and totally out of my depth here. I don't know how you would run something like like Meta, but they can afford to pay for it. They can afford to, at the bare minimum, offset by investing in renewable technologies, by investing in communities that plant trees around the world through something like the Eden Reforestation Project. And 2050, I'm sorry, is is a game, BS cop out. We're going to be so old by then as well. All right. Well, that was actually really interesting and such great advice. I've actually been able to take away so much from this just by listening because we really don't get to listen in to someone who's at the forefront, you know, of sustainability. You know, we have people that maybe specialize in it or they advise people and advise companies, but to see a CEO who's running a very large corporation who's doing amazing things to sort of give us a little bit of an insider peep into what it's like and what to look for and maybe what to avoid has been really, really helpful. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I I hope it was helpful to your listeners. For more GTI, we're at Girls That Invest on all of our socials. Um, Again, except Twitter where we're Girl That Invest because the handle was taken. (laughs) Don't forget to join our Facebook group where we have weekly discussions on the episodes that we put out and for more of the community feel and as always our disclaimer girls that invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs we are not financial advisors the advice from girls that invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision advice from girls that invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances always do your research and please use your due diligence Alrighty, bye team, see you next week.